0: Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. And welcome all once again. We are here gathered by Zoom in another, let's, let's call it scintillating. I like scintillating. A scintillating confrere of like-minded authors. And we are going to discuss what we've written during the past month. And uh, with me today, holding the reins, maintaining command and control of, of this august group, Steve Sherlock, my co-host officially. <laughs> yes, sure. you're electronic co-host, and so that makes you automatically the, uh, the analog co-host for the week.
1: I, I am honored to do so.
0: Don't squander it, Steve. Just, I will know, try just,
1: not. <laughs> I will savor every minute, every second. I mean, because this is the Zoom where it happens. There it you is. go. The Zoom Uh-oh. where it happens. Uh-oh. That's
0: right. But a boom. Need a rim shot over here. <laughs> um, so uh, let's jump in. First story Who's up? Shall we go in classic sense with faith? Okay. She's all over it like white on rice. Get out of the way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Dream interpretation. My astronomy club meets on Zoom nowadays. My friend Albert is on it too. Albert is 90 years old and is deaf as a haddock. (laughs) I try to help him as much as I can. He has trouble hearing and following the conversation and instructions. And if he does hear it, he doesn't understand it. It takes time for his mind to process the information. At least that's how I see it. I'm very sympathetic towards him because I have a feeling that I will be in his condition someday. And I hope people will be kind to me. Last night, the night after our Zoom meeting, I had a dream about Albert, a nightmare actually. Albert accidentally locked me in a closet. He was oblivious to the fact that he had shut the door on me and the door was locked. He didn't hear me call. He didn't hear me banging. No one did. That's it. That's the dream that woke me up. And it really bothered me. And now I don't have to have psychoanalysis to figure out that I feel trapped by Albert. I admit that when he's not at a meeting, I feel happy. Does that mean that I feel stuck? It shouldn't, because when I don't have time on the patience on certain days, I just tell that to Albert and he accepts it. But still, it continued to bother me for a few days. So much so that I just had to get out of that closet. Now, this closet was not a walk-in closet like you have in your bedroom. It was a closet like classrooms have. It was full of shelves. I barely had room to turn around. I started looking for something on the shelves to smash through the door. There were mostly reams of paper and some boxes. I saw a couple of glass vases that were pretty heavy and solid, but then I saw a Statue of Liberty. It was about a foot high and made of metal. That was my best choice.
1: Mm -hmm. How ironic
2: that would be if I gained my freedom from the Statue of Liberty. I banged it on the door. No one was coming, but I noticed that the center of the door was the weakest. So I banged and banged with that metal statue concentrating on the center. I banged until I smashed through. It was a small hole, but big enough for me to slip my hand through. And then my arm followed my hand through the hole and down to the doorknob. I was looking for that little knob mechanism that turns the lock it wasn't there instead it had the keyhole which meant that the locking mechanism was on my side of the door the inside <laughs> all this time all i had to do was unlock the door myself i'm an idiot i have <laughs> the sol- I have the solution to my problems within myself oh all i had to
3: do was open the door wonderful story story. story. very good very how
0: many times have i been there
3: (laughs) (laughs) very
4: metaphoric
0: exactly i thought i would have liked that dream i'm sorry i'm having a moment here (laughs) Uh (laughs) he was uh, he was nodding off yes exactly so steve who are we liking to put up
1: next who are we yearning yearning to hear from we've got a number of willing candidates there so kind of picking and choosing joe are you ready yeah i certainly am let's go um, with joe let's
5: go <laughs> my story is about the massachusetts state lottery tales and Woes. lottery started around 1970 uh its uh headquarters was in Braintree. And uh, I remember how they first started. Uh, It was very primitive. Um, They printed, you bought a ticket for a dollar and your number was printed on the ticket. So you had no choice to pick your own numbers. So that's how they started. Um, And then they just started to evolve uh, from that. And uh, they had $1 splash tickets and the ones were around for a while and then they involved evolved into the $2 tickets. And, and for me, that was like, wow, do I want to spend 2 bucks for a ticket? That was a lot to me back then. And then they expanded from the twos to the fives, and everybody was buying them, so they evolved to the 10s and 20s and 30s. And um, so uh, that's how that started. And then, um, uh, you know, right now it's considered the best lottery in the country as far as lotteries go. Um, And then we have characters of the Massachusetts State Lottery. And one of the most infamous ones was Scratch Ticket Lane. (laughs) And uh, and he was known for buying tickets. I don't think he ever hit the big one. But uh, he uh, he, uh, 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 really um, expanded the lottery um, as far as uh, everybody knowing about it. And then we've had some stories, uh, stories of woe. Where uh, a guy bought uh, some scratch tickets, and he was going to his car, and um, he dropped one of them on the ground. And uh, two seconds later, a, a little kid with his parents picked it up and gave to, gave it to his father. Um, <laughs> who scratched it? Yeah, who scratched it? And it was like, I think it was like, I don't know, it was a lot. I want to say a million, but I'm not sure. And um, oh, the guy oh. lost it, uh, contested. So it went to lottery court and they ruled that it was finders, keepers oh. using weepers, because he didn't sign the back of the ticket. You get something that big, you have to get lottery forms and all that and, and sign the back back of the ticket. So he'd lost. And then there was another one I think everybody heard about, about the store clerk uh trying to steal the winning ticket. Somebody hit their I don't know oh enormous amount of money, like I, I don't know, but it was a lot. And uh the storekeeper uh, tried to steal it and went to lottery Court, and uh, uh, he, was, he was charged with, uh, you know, uh, a trying, I don't know the official terms, but he was charged in trying to steal the, the guy's ticket. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. And then um, I have my brother, Tim, and 10 years ago, he was living in Stoughton. He went over to wash his clothes, and there was a, a Osco drug across the street that sold scratch tickets. So he had $2, only $2 left, so he went over and he bought one ticket, uh, came back to the laundry map, and it was a $20,000 hit. And he's got the, uh, um, he copied it on, on paper to prove that he won. And then, um, geez, uh, six months later, um, he was living in Randolph, and he went down to a mom and pop store and bought like 10 $2 tickets. And this time, he hit for $30,000. Oh, wow. And this doesn't stop. This gets better. And then uh, <laughs> six months later, he goes to another store in Randolph. It wasn't the mom and pop. The, believe it or not, they have a lottery store in Randolph. So he went in there. He bought some tickets. And he hit for $10,000. Oh. <laughs> uh, so he sold lightning, And he's got all the pay for to show that he did hit and he's not like, you know, BSing. And, uh, so yeah, um, it was crazy, but he hasn't won for 10 years. So, uh, he always goes by the numbers, you know, he asked the clerk, you know, for the number the scratch ticket. And then, you know, he would give, if he hit good, he would give the clerk a, a trip of course. So that's, um, that's his story. Now my story and faith doesn't even know about this is that, um, Before the um, pandemic, (laughs) me and my two brothers had a business and we would go, we've been doing this for years. When I was up in Portland, Maine, I was at the lottery counter and uh, somebody had left, um, you know, he scratched his ticket off and and left it there. It was a $20 ticket. So I went over there, you know, for and giggles and um, uh, looked at it. And sure enough, he missed one and it was a $20 hit. So I started from there, and we, we would go through all the garbage, uh, garbage cans with gloves, and get all the scratch tickets, and then go through them. And um, right now, well, we used to average—I don't know—sometimes um, it would be like forty dollars each, you know, one hundred and twenty a month. Sometimes it would be over three hundred. Uh, we have found—we have found two five hundred dollar hits. Wow. And, um, Wow. And tons of vineyards. It's crazy it's what, what this is true. So this is what people, they, they throw away. They're so anxious uh, to win. But it's only one number that, that they miss. They hardly ever miss two. So, yeah, and we're going to get back to it once um the pandemic goes away. But now I'm financially stable. I think what I'm going to do with my share is give it to St. Mary's. So, um, anyways, um. Uh, my, my final line here <laughs> for the lottery is uh, you can't win unless you play. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Good that? yeah.
1: I, I, I,
0: I have half of it right, the play part. <laughs> <laughs> still still working on the win part.
2: Yeah. I wouldn't win if I had all the tickets. I never do
4: because... Uh, well what would I do with all that money, surely, but um <laughs> but
0: we, we we can also, help you we can help you out.
4: <laughs> you find know,
1: a lot of friends.
4: <laughs> I'm running out of money I where I live and my kids are getting nervous. So but um and I'm getting nervous. So uh, maybe I should take up uh I don't, I'm from Randolph, but I don't know that lottery pr- uh, place. Joe, you'll have to get with me and tell me about that lottery place in Randolph.
5: I'll yeah, make it it's turn a over. It's a mall and pop store, but I forget the name. But uh, yeah, it's crazy where, you know, it, the tickets can be anywhere. You just never know. Yeah. And it's crazy. Lightning struck. Three times with him, and, and I haven't even won a thousand. You know, it, you know, if I play, and uh, it's crazy. Yeah, you know, it's just like wow.
0: You know, Alice, a Alice, I'm hearing a surefire plan for success yeah.
4: here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people, well, people are not happy that win that money. I'm sure. You know, everybody's after you. And
5: yeah, it's crazy. It, it could be a curse. You know, when you win, well,
0: there is that I'm- downside. There is a downside.
5: Yeah. 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 I'd like to experience it for maybe 10 minutes. I think (laughs) I can handle it. You know, Steve, this
0: this in my mind, Steve begs the question as to how many pets have won the lottery and we turn to (laughs) our pet expert for the answer. (laughs) Kathy, fill us in.
3: Okay. (laughs) Okay, well, my work this week is entitled Don't Be a Stranger. So how is everybody? I have really missed you. I've also missed having a normal life. Not only have I been stuck here at home, I've also had some bad luck to keep me company. For openers, my car got drowned. It happened on the 4th of July. It was just sitting there in the parking lot of my apartment complex Minding its own business when the sky delivered half a foot of rain and the parking lot turned into a pond. When I got inside to start it up, my feet were in water. It did start, but a message on the dashboard told me it was in trouble. I got it to a local garage, but when they checked it out, it was declared a total loss. After all, it was a car, not a submarine. <laughs> Next followed, two weeks of being carless. I know, I could have rented a car, but I didn't. After all, I have two children living close enough to give me a ride to the grocery store or an emergency visit to the hairdresser. Those kids were wonderful, always willing to help, but I could tell they were getting tired. Now it was time to greet the mailman daily as I awaited my check from the insurance company. It arrived within a week, providing enough money for me to replace my eight-year-old Ford Fusion with a used car of approximately the same vintage. My daughter got right on it, finding a used Kia Sportage that I could afford before I did anything rash, like signing up for something brand spanking new that would include monthly payments. Mm -hmm. I got it a couple of weeks ago, and I'm as happy as a kid with a new toy. Thanks to Liberty Mutual and my kids, I am no longer housebound. I have been reading a lot lately about the epidemic of loneliness. One article in a recent issue of AARP's magazine, written by Louise Hockley, a senior research scientist at the University of Chicago, says loneliness, quote, is a universal human experience. In being the social animals that we are, There must be implications when those social connections are not satisfied. When our social network is missing, there are consequences to our mental and physical health, she writes, especially for those of us who live alone. Loneliness can be a killer. It leaves us more likely to develop heart disease and makes us more vulnerable to other life-threatening conditions like depression which can lead to suicide, Alzheimer's, high blood pressure, and even the common cold. Studies have shown that the human brain interprets loneliness as a threat, causing the body to produce an inflammatory response in the white blood cells, making the lonely person fearful, irritable, and prone to negative emotions, and thus unlikely to seek new friendships. Studies are now underway to reduce the body's inflammatory response, she explains, which is heightened among those who suffer from loneliness. In the meantime, those of us who are at risk can reach out to friends and family, get involved in our communities, and try to turn the focus outward to help alleviate this very real problem. As for me, I am pumped and ready to go.
1: It's no meal,
6: Good, Very That's timely. Right.
1: Bill, are you ready?
6: Uh, yeah, I'm ready. Oh, good. I got my usual uh, romantic poems. <laughs> okay, uh, this one's called uh, Together We'll Be. As the morning sun rises, it shines in my face. I want to be with you in that beautiful place. The sun brings me warmth the way that you do. I want to hold you and kiss you. I sure do love you. The beauty that you are, the beauty that I see, I want you right now, so very close to me. You inspire me, with, you, you inspire me to write these beautiful words. Together we'll be, my love you have heard. I know that your birthday is coming real soon. I wish I could be beside you under the moon. A long walk in the evening, in the darkness of night. Be close beside you, our love is so right. We must be together, no matter the cost, because without you, I'd simply be lost. You are my love, you are my passion. The warmth of your love, I'll show you compassion. I'm not a rich man, don't have much money. If I had you, I'd be a bee with lots of honey. I am the bee, I'll never give you a sting, because, <laughs> sweet darling, you make my heart sing. We'll walk hand in hand on the beach in the sand. I love you so much. Our love, it will stand.
0: Excellent.
4: Excellent. Very good. That is the best one
6: you've ever done, Bill. That that true. Is I would agree. Wonderful. I, got yes. a, I got a short, a short birthday one I, I did for her. Go for it. I was, I was, I was writing a <laughs> letter to her, and I wrote it up right on the spot. Happy birthday to you, my very special lady. I love you so much, you are my baby. If I could shower you with gifts, you know that I would. We belong together, our love is so good. My love for you is strong, let me carry you away. Happy birthday to you, our love it will stay. My love I will send, my love I will give. Together we'll be, I just want to live. Very nice. Nice. Very Very
4: nice. nice. You get better and better, Bill.
6: I'm I'm surprised (laughs) they keep coming up with these things.
0: Well, practice (laughs) makes perfect, right? That's what we're all doing. Pat, do
1: you have something queued up? You read my mind.
7: (laughs) I do. I wrote this last October. Autumn bliss. An exquisite deep blue sky. Crisp clean, rocky mountain air, snow crowning the peaks in the distance, glistening sun warming the earth, crystal ice chips dotting the evergreens, while brilliant leaves blanket the ground. He barrels along on his shiny blue scooter. The gentle autumn breeze energizes him. Faster and faster he flies unable to sustain my momentum. Red light stop, green light go, becomes our game. He stops, he spies an enticing heap of fallen leaves. A stately giant maple stands above, spreading its lengthy limbs wide. What better place to rest? Arms and legs swish in the delightful pile. Then slosh, slosh, <laughs> dive. He rolls, he laughs. Innocent childhood creates immeasurable memories of sheer bliss. Thanks. Thanks.
1: Very, Very nice. Loved it. Loved it. Very
3: nice.
7: The
4: image gorgeous, gorgeous. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Pat.
1: I don't know, Albert, can you go after that one? That, that was, that's setting the bar kind of high, but you yeah, might be able yes. to reach
8: it. I think you all can do it. I'll do it with trepidation. Trepidation oh, wow. is,
0: there is yeah. another word, that was, that, was, that was your word of the day, right?
8: <laughs> anyway, I have to preface my, uh, my reading, which is a letter to my daughter. I have a letter to my, to my oldest daughter, Carol, that I'd like to read. Written to to her in 2008, after she revealed to us that she had been diagnosed with multiple myeloma and was asking for prayers. Oh. She would have our support and more. Thinking of all her attributes, I reflected on her part becoming a a graduate uh, from Providence College, had her own casting company in Boston, and then meeting and marrying the production designer, both were working on uh, the same movie in Vermont. They had to locate in California as her husband Jeff where it was important in his field and needed to be near his studios. Carol continued working in the film industry before starting a family of a son and then a daughter, followed by studying and becoming a psychotherapist to the benefit of many clients. Besides being gorgeous with a wonderful walk that turned heads, she was humble and loyal to her many friends while away and then returning to Massachusetts to visit us close to her two sisters and brothers. She would indeed be very, we would indeed be very supportive as we needed to remind her how much she means to us, February 9th, 2008. Dear Carol, woke up early this morning and thought about you. The things that came to mind were so lovely. I must share them with who they were about. Curious event, after the way you changed our lives by coming to us through our love and made us proud parents of a lovely child, when we were at Kingsbury Pond, as I was facing away, the no way, you had gone under. Were showing great courage and determination as you struggled to come in. I reached out my hand and took you in. But that look and memory is still with me today. The same courage still serves you now. My hand is there for any way to help. A couple of years later, when you might have been around seven, you came in to me from the dirt road beside our house to tell me about what the boys were doing out there. It seemed a lovely bird had died. It was on the ground, and the boys were hitting it with rocks. You were quite upset, and said in a very profound way that it's awful to kill a dead eagle. It was a measure of your heart and what you have to give to those in need. I've often thought that would make a good book title for one of our fallen heroes. It must have been a year or two later that I reflected on the time mom lost her engagement ring and was trying to retrace her steps, including coming down the path on the side of the house. You immediately had a positive idea that you were going to find it as you focused on a large patch of grass, in no time at all, you did that very thing. You are very intuitive and have need to maintain that positive thinking to this day. On my part, in others thinking of you, it is my hope that what seems threatening will be of no account. When I pray to you, it's for death. Her husband, with his wisdom his support. As a young woman, you became a delight to the eyes and hormones of so many young men that you did turn many ahead. You were lovely too, gorgeous, and all the while humble, fun, and a loyal friend to so many. You were always the prom queen, even when others wore the crown. I was so proud of you then, even as I am today, because of who you are and all you've done so much on your own. When you were away to college in Europe, I told you something from my heart that was in a line from a movie we both knew, Cold Miner's Daughter. It's the one I should have said to your friends a few years ago when she asked, what Carol was like when she was young. And I tried humor by saying she had fire in her belly. I regretted not saying what I thought after whether they had seen the movie and remember the line from the daddy where he tells her how he feels. Remember, you're my shining star. That was in my letter to you then, in the way I still feel. I hope these reflections are as meaningful to you as they continue to be for me. My love, honor, and respect for you is ongoing. Grace and peace from your loving dad."
3: Wow. Wow.
1: Very, very nice. I know. I'm sure she appreciated it. So Alice, can you follow that one?
4: Well, it'll be hard.
1: uh, I know, you know, but you know, I think you're up to the task.
0: I I agree. agree. Alice, 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 Alice. Alice. (laughs) Today,
4: I have deviated from murder and mayhem. Oh, Oh. and yeah, I'll bring it back. Uh, Don't worry. But today, I I, uh, pulled something from the archives. And this is a children's story that I wrote based on something that I said to my son when the incident happened. And he had cut his uh, finger somehow and and bathing it and putting ointment on it. And he he grabbed the tape and he um, kept wrapping the tape around and around and around till the very end. And I said to him in passing, oh, it looks like a big bandage for a small boo-boo. And (laughs) I thought immediately, I said to myself, what a great story title. And so I sat down and I wrote this story, A A Big Bandage for a Small Boo-Boo. For six-year-old bite baits, a good day meant fishing. Oh sure, he liked baseball, soccer, running, video games, and the ice cream man, but in summer, Mike's favorite thing to do in the whole world was to go down by the lake, cast his new pole, and fish whenever he could. I haven't caught anything yet, but someday soon I'll come home with a big one that Mum can cook for supper. It was a clear June day that the accident happened. Mike was getting his line ready to cast when, ouch! His finger caught on the hook. It began to bleed. His finger looked like ketchup, but the sting told him different. He rushed home. Mike always prided himself on being brave, but it was hard this time. When mom washed his finger and put antiseptic spray on the cut, I think what I need is a bandage, said Mike. He took the adhesive tape down off the shelf and proceeded to wrap his sore finger. Round and round the finger, the tape went until Mike came to the end of the roll. I guess that's enough, he thought, running off to play. Everyone Mike saw that day asked about the finger. A <laughs> huge bandage on his finger. When Mike saw it when mum saw it, excuse me, when Mum saw it, she said it looks like a big bandage for a small boo boo. Mike was enjoying the attention people were giving him and somehow the accident became as big as a bandage. I was cutting wood with my dad, soon grew to a ferocious animal bit me. <laughs> or I hurt myself protecting my family from bad guys. (laughs) Mike was very proud of his injury. The more sympathetic people were, the bigger story he told. Don't you think you can take that bandage off now, his mother said after two weeks. The cut has healed by now. (laughs) Oh, no, Mom, I need it on, said Mike. Now, every Thursday after school, Mike played baseball with his friends Joey, Billy, Greg, Paul, and Danny. This particular Thursday, Mike was a little late getting to the field. He had been talking to Mr. McGregor about his bandaged finger and lost track of time. <laughs> I am late, puffed Mike running up to home base. We've already picked teams, said Paul. "They always awesome. play for a space, said Mike. We thought you were busy chasing bad guys, taunted Joey. (laughs) Yeah, we need guys who are dependable, added Paul. (laughs) Turning to the others, he said, come on, let's play ball. Dejected, head down, Mike started for home. I baked your favorite cookies today, Mike, his mother, called from the kitchen. Mike kept walking towards his room. Once inside, he sprawled out on the bed. Mm -hmm. dinner was unusually quiet that evening even his sister Heidi's teasing didn't get a rise out of Mike dad asked what was wrong Mike answered nothing he went directly to his room after supper mom and dad were really worried now Mike's father gave him 10 minutes knocked on his door Mike may I come in Okay, Arthur Bates' Bates' lanky body rested on the edge of his son's bed. What's bothering you, Mike? Dad, the guy said I couldn't be on that team. Why not? They say I'm not dependable, and because of my finger, they say I can't catch the ball. Dad smiled. I have a solution. Take the bandage off. I bet the cut has healed anyway. With his dad's assistance, Mike took off the big bandage. Sure enough, there was only a small dot where the cut had been. Just be careful next time you're fishing, said Dad. Mike looked at his father questioning. Then he remembered, yes, he had gotten the cut fishing. I guess in all the excitement I forgot, thought Mike, Wow, he had really enjoyed telling those stories. Well, I didn't actually get bitten by a ferocious animal, but I'm glad I didn't. Now I can play baseball with my friends, and that's exactly
3: what he did. Wonderful! Well
8: done, man. very clever. Hey. He's he
3: like his to mom. The he ball game.
0: <laughs> okay, I think we've covered everybody except for Hope. Mr.
1: Sherlock. Mr. Sherlock. Oh, yeah.
0: Steve.
1: It was interesting, too, because I found a stack of papers that were all handwritten. Remember how we did that once upon a time? <laughs> Vaguely, yes, I remember that. <laughs> so that was the makings of a short story. I'm in the process of transcribing it into technical you know, digits, et cetera, so I can edit it along the way, bring it up, finish it off, et cetera, et cetera. So in the meantime,
0: mm-hmm. I'll tease you
1: with that. But in the meantime, I do have four new shirkus. So the short little haiku like Mm -hmm. poems. First one, and I'll read each one twice because they're just so short. Shirku titled Renewal Renew yourself, listen to the flower, and you will not hear his latest lie. Shirku Renewal Renew yourself, listen to the flower and you will not hear his latest lie. Autumn dance. Brown autumn leaf dances across the blacktop early this morning as I walk. Autumn dance. Brown autumn leaf dances across the blacktop early this morning as I walk. Virus. Yeah, it's around. Leaves rustle in the breeze. What do the trees know of the virus raging down here? Virus. Leaves rustle in the trees. What do they know of the virus raging down here? Wow. And then the last one, Labor Day. New England chore. Putting the window AC units away for the season. (laughs) Labor Day. New England chore. Putting the window AC units away for the season. Lovely. Steve,
3: what did you call those?
1: Shirku? Shirku, yeah. So you've heard of haiku. Yes. Shirku oh. I build upon that. Instead of being seventeen syllables, sure, like, they're okay. nineteen. Oh. And because sure, it's in oh. the American idiom, they're either three or four or five syllables per line as opposed to the three lines of five, seven, five, according to the formal haiku way.
3: Say again what what the makeup is.
1: So it's set, nine, the normal one is 17 syllables, five, seven, five. Uh-huh. Mine is either four or five lines depending, and it's three, four, or five syllables no more. But Ooh, most of the American synonym, idiom rather, just do it. You know, America runs right. on Duncan. It's, it's all shorter phrases. So I Americanize the haiku.
3: It's really challenging, but you do a good job with it.
1: Thank it you.
3: Is.
1: It gives but, me uh, an opportunity to try and compress and condense compress. and get right to the point.
0: <laughs> Example. There you have it. A thought strung together in a moment.
2: Yes. All right. I'm
1: yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> the fly, no less.
4: <laughs> add,
1: that,
0: add, add that to the, you know, whatever. Yes. Oh.
1: Yeah.
0: Since our last get-together, um, I have uh, written a faux piece of history. Um, a fable riddled with enough truth to make it credible. Hmm. Um, But it is about the broadcasting industry and a fictitious company. So that sets the backdrop. What I will read to you today of the 50-odd pages I've already written, uh, I'm just going to read you the preamble, the setup. The title of this, uh, call it Fabulous History, (laughs) Magellan Boys. Each and every industry of man and those human exploits and endeavors that power it are riddled with untold stories. These are stories hidden beneath the public record, stories behind the story. If history is written by the victors, this is the stuff they missed. This is the more fabulous truth buried beneath the public record. Have you ever heard of the Magellan Boys? No? Then read on. At the start of a revolutionary 20th century, instantaneous point-to-point communication with someone else at any distance was a privilege reserved for the well-to-do. Communicating with the whole of society, en masse, all at once, was a distant holy grail of a future time and technology. To be clear, the 19th century was no slouch. It gave us the Industrial Revolution. It wrought Watts steam engines that could power large machinery for enabling work and speedy transport. Steam and electricity were harnessed for the public good. There was Edison's electrified Mazda safety light. Sound could be scribed onto a cylinder. Even light itself could be recorded onto a canvas with a memory, a photograph. <clears throat> our grandest ideas could dot and dash about, and later even our voices zipped at lightning speed along wires to and fro, connecting individual communicating wires to entire populations. This had its physical limits. Science had long known about radiating pulsed waves of magnetic energy through what was then understood as an element of the atmosphere, the aether. This energy could be profused directly into the sky by sending a wire aloft and elsewhere extracted therefrom in a like manner. History readily credits Marquis Guglielmo Marconi as the father of radio, case open and shut. He realized the concept of distant wireless communication and ships at sea were no longer alone. Who remembers Malon Loomis? No one. Yet in 1866, eight full years before Marconi's birth, Loomis clearly noted above that he sent signals by aerial telegraph. Five simple words in Loomis' personal writings patently chronicle both his invention and his intention. His experimental transmissions were repeatable as an undeniable existence proof. He had demonstrated wireless communication. This factual record begs the question, who, is the true progenitor of radio. Mm. Loomis Loomis opened the door. Marconi walked in. Ah. So, too, the properties of thermionic emission, electrical rectification in the 1904 Fleming valve, were first discovered by Thomas Edison in 1875 through efforts to improve his electric light. Edison patented his designs for an electrical current flow detector element in an evacuated globe. He just couldn't foretell the practical application for what he had, an invention seeking intention. Hmm. Edison opened the door. John Ambrose Fleming and later on Lee DeForest walked in and invented the radio tube. Wow. The history of invention, progress, and fortune is littered with such instances of trial and error by singular contributors doggedly toiling to advance their imperfect spheres of scientific knowledge. Only by the fullness of time and exhaustive, honest investigation can we sort the true record. The subject of this historical reckoning? The MBT. The Magellan Broadcast Technology Corporation of America? The Magellan Boys. The more familiar names, the ones that elementary schoolers learn, Marconi, Edison, and so on, are those lofted to fame not only by the enterprise of their scientific contributions, but rather by their business enterprises. Mm. These corporate entities offered a key element that the lone inventor lacked, publicity. Public relations specialists then and now contributed to the public record, to history. The savvy man at the top who leveraged the power of the public pen was more often the winner in the court of public opinion and market sentiment. Few knew this better than the general, David Sarnoff. He proved to be the most influential figure of the 20th century's technology landscape. Sarnoff was and remains in a most literal and prolifically literary sense, the stuff of legend, his legend. He was not David Sarnoff. He was General Sarnoff. His company wasn't RCA. It was the RCA. This practiced erudition and import was at the core of his public persona and a corporate zeitgeist that he fashioned from the whole cloth of his disciplined mind and appreciative marketing prowess. It's 1918. Sarnoff returned home from the Great War with fame, a plan, and inside connections. The U.S. Navy sought to commercialize its proprietary intellectual property and interest patent. In radio technologies. As the man who coordinated military communications during the great war, General Sarnoff was in command and in the right place at the right time. The straight up direct name of his enterprise, the Radio Corporation of America said it all. This was a peremptorily calculated name that all other radio entities would be forced to measure themselves against. In a short handful of years, the RCA would tower over all but one late upstart, Magellan. Indeed, it was MBT that first fashioned the term broadcasting. Mm. Where wireless communication was to date viewed as a point-to-point technology, Magellan, by chance or choice, enshrined a forward-looking mission, patently positioning front and center into its corporate calling card, its own name, broadcasting as a shiny new term of art said it all. The psychoalchemy of what was afoot between these two companies is a classic tale of survival of the fittest. The general believed in two key tenets, control the intellectual property by owning it and control the public conversation by owning it. This powerhouse balance of innovation management and messaging was core to Sarnoff's business acumen It didn't take the general long to step ahead of this broadcast threat, quickly authoring his famous music box memo, espousing the conceptual use case that MBT had self-branded as broadcasting. It is notable that Sarnoff avoided the term broadcast in his memo. He was losing control and ownership of a public conversation that had already begun one that began, innocently enough, in a department store. Wow. You the are
3: on something.
0: Mm. Awesome. Anyway, the story of the Magellan Boys unfolds for another 47-odd pages.
3: Oh, good. It's going to be a bestseller, especially to <laughs> those studying radio and PR.
0: Well, there's that much truth in it. Mm-hmm. But on the very uh-huh. next page, it starts to really go off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I think we've covered everyone, Steve.
6: I'm Bill Wiley.
0: I'm Al Larkin. Hi, I'm the one true faith, Dave Flaherty.
7: Hi, I'm Pat Winniarski.
0: I'm Steve Sherlock. I'm Alice Judge. And I'm Peter J. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hours. Until the next time, I'm Peter J.
3: Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life, become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment
0: to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.